Hey everybody, can you hear me? That's what I sound like after this whole time. I'm sorry about that. That's uh, monotonous. Um, that was a great pizza, by the way. And whoever found that, that's a gem. Good job. I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah. Um, just going to start off with a little honesty. Um, this kind of environment totally terrifies me. I'm like shaking, I'm scared. Um, public speaking doesn't come naturally to me. You know what though? It's an awesome place to be. And the reason because is because God is magnified in my shortcoming and my weakness. And right now, just a little disclaimer, I am leaning completely on his strength for this next half hour or so. So, um, Definitely bear with me as I um, hopefully teach something to you guys today. Uh, we're going through Matthew, um, but I would love to start us off in a word of prayer. Um, so let's do that. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we just come before you again on another Sunday. Um, but it's a new day. We re- we're renewed by you every single day, God, and we don't take that for granted, and just uh, new things that you put in our hearts, um, new things that you reveal to us. And right now, as we open your word and we learn about who you are, um, we, I just pray for all the hearts and all the souls in this room, all the brothers and sisters that you've brought into this church's doors this morning, and that your word would just give life into those that need it, which is all of us. We're all thirsty for your word, God. And... For myself, that I remind myself that I'm just one of them too, that I'm just here to receive, just encounter you in a real way, um, that we just want to hear from you this morning. As we get through this passage, as we read over your scripture, which is power and authority in every sense of the word, I just ask that you speak, God. Um, I surrender all of this, everything that I am, everything you made me to be, um, to you. I can't help but think of Moses who came before God complaining about, I'm not a great speaker, I can't do this. And um, God rebuked him saying, you think I made a mistake in making you? You think I didn't make you for a purpose? You're going to do great things. And um, thank you for that peace, Lord. So, yeah, nothing of me and all of you in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, Let's see, I have to flip back to chapter 6. But yeah, in case you guys don't know me, my name is Mark, and I am currently the pastoral intern at this church, and I don't really know what that means after like six months. I'm still kind of confused. Some of my response, thank you, Kelsey. Some of my responsibilities include bringing an iPhone charger for Wilson, and sometimes I'll bring him boba if he's lucky, and snacks. Um, but we're working on the whole job description thing, and I'm looking forward to when it's actually like legit, legit job. But uh, no, but Wilson is—he's um, awesome. He's the one, if you don't know him, who who, who planted this church uh, about three years ago. Right now he's away, he's on vacation in Europe, and um, it's awesome to just that he can get away and he can rest, he can reflect on 
you know, where's God taking this church in this new season? What's coming up next? Um, but I know with reasonable certainty that right now he's probably praying for this service. Um, he cares that much, probably taking time away from his family just to pray for me, for this, yeah, just for this church. And um, part of it's probably he's not sure if when he comes back home if the church is even going to still be here because you had to endure what I'm doing here. So I hope he feels, I hope he feels comforted um, at the results. But um, yeah, you know, like, I really respect him. I've learned so much from being mentored by him and thankful to call him a brother. And we definitely miss him, but he'll be back soon, so don't worry. So earlier I was talking about this whole idea of leaning in on God and, and letting him take over and trusting. And those are all really, really deep ideas, but it's just so crucial to the Christian walk, like this relationship, this authentic relationship with Christ. And we're going through Matthew, as I mentioned earlier, and we're currently on the Sermon on the Mount, which is a very crucial part in Jesus' ministry. And we've learned about this idea of this upside-down kingdom. And it's called that because it's literally so different from everything that we know about the world, both now and back then. Um, everything that he taught was just so radically different. Um, and it's still kind of mind-blowing to us today, 2,000 years later. A little bit about my story and how this impacted me. Um, we're going to be talking about treasures today. So as you listen, just think about treasures. Like, what does that mean? Why do we seek after them? Why are they valuable to us? And I didn't grow up in a Christian household, and the idea of money was pretty high. Uh, my parents were born in Hong Kong, and they came over for college, and they had this survivalist mentality, which is so common for immigrants that come over. They don't know when the next meal is going to be. They don't know if they can provide for their, um, you know, their spouse or their family. So they were just all about, let's pursue this American dream and get stability because I don't know the future. It's so uncertain. And this kind of rubbed off on me. Um, as I was developing my own perspective on money, um, I essentially inherited this viewpoint too where hey, if I make enough, if I um, accumulate enough of that for myself, it makes sense. I don't have to worry about food. I don't have to worry about shelter. Um, and that's a great place to be. It sounds good to me, and it sounded good to me back then especially. And I know I'm not alone in this mindset. I think it's very pervasive in today's society, this idea of pursuing comfort and stability. Um, but just a little spoiler alert, I will tell you that Jesus also flips that upside down. Um, he teaches something that is just so radical again, so different. And we're going to look at that today. The context of this passage um, is pretty focused on money and material wealth. But I don't want you to be closed in on that idea that that's the only thing that we can chase after. There's so much out there that pulls our attention away. So be mindful of that. Um, but we're going to look at what Jesus had to say about these kind of treasures that we might pursue. So we're in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going through verses 19 to 24. And the first section reads this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You guys ever have like a movie or a book that you wish you read? Um, you got a chance to read for the first time again. So you can just unwatch it and then rewatch it again and get that first initial impact. Um, after reading this book so much, I admit that a lot of it gets diluted. A lot of it doesn't have the same weight that it used to. But this one, um, sorry, Wilson told me specifically not to talk about my relationship with the passage, but I can't help it. But this one is like a first time every single time that I read it. It just has so much weight to it, and it just, it just teaches me, it humbles me every single time. And it shows what Jesus thinks about um, how the world is and how he teaches his disciples to be, essentially. He's basically saying, look, his audience, to his disciples, people who follow me, um, they're not like everybody else. They're actually really different. And I know there's proof for this, but if you look around, everybody's chasing their own thing. You know, it, it, money, you know, women, riches, you know, just pres- prestige, it's just all there. But people who love me and put me first, we're not the same. Um, we pursue treasures in heaven. In fact, then I try to imagine, what is that like to receive that idea of treasure in heaven? Like, do we even know what that means? But one thing we do know is that he says, don't invest in things in this world, because even practically speaking, they're gone in an instant. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. Um, things that we save up for after so long, or things that are valuable to us that are here, they go away so quickly. Um, but people who follow Jesus, they, uh, they pursue other things. They pursue things that are eternal, that by their very nature are protected because they're not of this world. They're of God. And those things, and it makes sense if you think about that. Okay, I want the thing that's not going to go away. I don't want to invest in the stuff that's gone in an instant. But still, it's just still really abstract, and you're kind of unsure as to, you know, what is he saying? It begs the question, treasures, why are they a thing? And I think it has to do with the heart, and it's very clear here, actually. That's why I think it has to do with the heart. But he says in verse 21 that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the question is, where does your heart find security? Like, why do we chase these things? We usually do it because it shows power. Uh, Back then, it actually kind of shows that, oh, the ones who are blessed by God, those are the ones... Um, who are rich. Those are the ones who have everything. And he's turning this around again. Um, yeah, so where does, why does your heart pursue these things? Um, do you really find security in temporal things versus the eternal? I'm going to push that a little further and present the question, what is God's impression of treasure? I think it's vastly different from what we think it is. There's a lot of things that I value. I value relationships, social relationships, family. Um, I cling on to my money, too. I'm definitely guilty of that. 
But if we can take a moment to think about what God is thinking, about what he sees as treasure, the answer is not the same as what I think it is or what we all think it is. Um, His treasure is essentially you, um, the ones that he created, the one that he sent his son for. Uh, I don't believe that he sent his son to give us material wealth. I think it's very clear that um, it was so that we can be rich in Christ. And that's exactly why it took that huge ransom to actually make that right with God. God's definition of treasure is just not the same. There's this connection, there's this relationship between how you chase after treasures and how it changes your heart posture. And that's what he illustrates in that last verse. So as I move into college, I'm excited to pursue all these things. And I wasn't Christian yet. The special thing about my life, though, is that I had an inheritance waiting for me, which made it actually easier than the usual person. So I was pursuing college to become a dentist, and my dad has this incredibly lucrative practice in San Francisco, which is immensely saturated with a million dentists, but he's just like at the top. And I had that waiting for me, and all I had to do was get through school, and then he could be like, here, son... (laughs) Like, this is what I worked my whole life to give you. And I saw value in that. I thought it was a pretty good gig, honestly. Um, And there's another thing that stuck with me, too. Um, Living in the Bay Area in San Francisco, there's a lot of homeless on the street. And we would walk by, and they would point out to them, they would point them out to me and go like, hey, Mark, remember that if if you don't succeed in this, like, that's what you're going to look like. You're going to be, you're going to have nothing like them. You're going to be like them. And back then it made sense. Like, who, who doesn't, you know, I don't want that life. A more modern, current example of a treasure of mine is, if you've ever been in my place, uh, which a few of you have, the first thing you'll see is this giant bookcase. And I bought it for my seminary books, because you just get a lot. Every class is like five or six. I put them in there, but I also like to collect a lot of things. And one thing that I collect is like these little dolls. And they're literally for children. Like, I don't even know why I do that. But I have all these books, and like, the funny thing is they're in there. The books are in there. But I also put these dolls out, and they're in front of the books. So you can't even see the books. And then when people walk in, it's like, oh, he clearly, you know has his priorities straight. The, uh, the books are behind the dolls that he collects. Um, but the crazy thing is, looking back, I know a lot about them because I treasure them so much. My heart is so invested in these things, and I can tell you when I bought it. I can tell you how much they're worth, like where they're made, everything. And it's funny because whenever I tell people about that, they don't share the same interest. They're just like, Mark, nobody cares about what you know about these dolls because there's no relevance. I can't connect with you. And I'm like, no, but they're cool. Trust me, they're cool. Um, And, you know, know we all have those things that we are interested in, these hobbies. Something I think about is, what if we treated our passion for God the same way? 
like you know everything about him, you're so passionate about who he is, and you can't wait to share with other people. Um, and the big difference is that this has so much relevance to the next person. When I talk about what my hobbies are, I'm just like, yeah, it makes sense. They don't share that treasure with me. They don't care as much as I do. When it comes to sharing God and the gospel about this real relationship you can have with Christ, it matters so much how you communicate to other people because there's people out there that don't know him. And part of our mission is to spread that. So I couldn't move on from this without mentioning that really quick. But yeah, we have that passion. I really think that this would be a really different place, the whole world. The idea of treasures... um, I know some of the Bible studies this week went through this passage. Um, treasures is also related to the eye, which is what this next slide that I... Thank you, yes. Um, talks about. He he's transitions to the idea of a healthy eye. Like, what is that? Does it have connection to treasures, or is it this new part that he's trying to get to? And I'm going to argue that it's very, very relevant. And uh, the verse reads this, verse 22... The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. The analogy I use for this is the eye is a recurring body part in the Bible. It's, It's mentioned many times, and usually when that happens, it means it's pretty important. And the analogy I think of is your mouth and your stomach. So how do you fulfill what your stomach needs? You eat, and it's through your mouth. In the same way, your eyes is that portal for your heart. Um, Everything that you're stimulated by, everything that you see, is literally pouring into your body, and it changes, once again, the idea of your heart posture. Um, Essentially, what you're focused on determines what that treasure in your heart is. So another question I pose that I'll give a little bit for you guys to think about, think about is what captivates and excites you? What grabs your attention? What are things that really pull you in? And as we know, in today's culture, there's literally a million things that are competing for your attention, that want to grab your eyes, Hop in your phone, so many ads on there. When you hop on TV, when you drive on the freeway, there's ads everywhere. That's just the reality that we live in. I wonder how badly that actually distorts our vision, to be clear, you know? Um, It's always in a subtle way, I've noticed, too. Sometimes we don't even notice what it does to us. But when, when when you really think about it and sit down and go like, whoa, this is changing me. Um, then you realize the damage that, it, that it's done. Jesus uses the terminology healthy eye. So what does that look like? There's no other way to put it. A healthy eye is one that is focused completely on God. You know, sometimes when you carpool together and you go to places to eat, and then you pull alongside each other so you can see each other, like, through the windows. Um, you, don't, you guys don't do that? Okay. Well, uh, 
you know, when you try to, like, catch your friend's attention by, like, waving at them and pounding on the window, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but sometimes I don't notice that you're doing that because I'm so just, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I focus on the road. I'm focused on something else. But I don't even notice a thing, and they're doing everything they can to pull my gaze towards them. That's how it has to be like when we're looking towards God. It's like, it's so hard for me to get distracted because every day I wake up and it's just, I'm focused on you. Nothing can pull me away from that. And I know it's so challenging to get to that point, but that's where Jesus is calling us to be. So fixated on him that we actually are transformed by that gaze through our eyes and into our soul. And the cool thing is that the more you are fixated on God, you become more full of light. You take on some of his attributes, generosity, humility, selflessness. All those things come from just that relationship, just from looking towards him, looking up. But on the flip side, I can't deny the fact that the verse also mentions darkness. There's that same relationship where if you're looking at the wrong stuff, if it's focused on something that's not God, it also spills in. We're not immune to to that. We're actually very susceptible to that. So be careful where your focus is. Know where it's supposed to be and let that transform you. On a deeper level, I actually feel that the eyes are looking for a master. I know that we like to be in control of everything. We like to know what's coming next. Um, But we're actually mastered by a lot of different things, and I don't think we even know it. Um, And the result in terms of what master we're trying to seek with our eyes, depends on what we treasure, which is that theme again and again. Um, we're often mastered by things that pull us away from God, you know, in the same way that we look at different things. Just using an example of money, since it's in this passage, um, which I will read right now, actually. Um, the last part of it's in verse 24. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. When money is your master, what does that look like? Or other things? Something I notice that money is actually a really good servant. I think I have to give you know credit there where it's due. Um, when you have ten bucks, you know what it can buy you. You know exactly the value of it and what it can get you every time. But the part where money fails is that it's a poor master. Um, Well, first of all, it's an inanimate object. Like, it's an actual, you can't talk back to you or anything. But when it starts calling the shots and making every decision for you, I think most of us can relate that it's probably not a very healthy thing to do. When you swap that with God, though, however, when God is your master, which is, of course, what Jesus is pushing for, it's so different. Um, You actually get peace from that relationship. And it's dynamic. It actually becomes two-way, where you do something and he responds. Money can't do that. Um, A lot of things can't do that. And the beautiful thing is that as you build that relationship with God as your master, your perspective on other things actually begins to change. Um... Everything else in the world is just different than how you knew it. Money becomes this agent to, yes, bless your own family and feed your family, but also bless other people. And to see it from that perspective is, you know, it's not as common as we might think it is. 
This whole idea of two masters being impossible is pretty apparent here. He's saying that you pretty much have to decide whose side you're on. Where does your allegiance lie? And whenever it gets this black and white, it's kind of scary um, because you have to commit to one and abandon the other. For me, I was presented with that that situation where, okay, I've made it this far. Um, I'm about to receive my inheritance. And now all of a sudden God shows up to me and he places on my heart, you have to choose now. Uh, Who is your master? It says right here that you cannot serve both. So you can't have one foot in each like you've been doing. And I'm somebody who likes having a plan, by the way, as much as the next person. I love knowing what's next. I love knowing I'm taking these classes next semester or 10 years from now I'm going to have enough to do everything I dreamed of. And yet, I was called to abandon that. And a lot of times when I tell about this part of my life, people assume that it was an easy choice. Like, of course you choose God. I mean, everybody says that's the best thing ever, so yeah, I mean, easy. Um, But at the time, (laughs) it was actually exceedingly difficult. They were both viable options for me. I loved the idea of living out everything I wanted to do, and, you know, just that easy way. It really felt that way to me. And then at the time, God was the hard way. I was, it didn't seem like a good option for me. But yet there's still this nudge that was pushing me towards him. And I think what he revealed to me is that when you surrender your plans to him, you're not surrendering it just to anybody. You're surrendering it to the person who actually made you and knows you far better than you know yourself. And when you realize that truth and you believe in that, I can tell you from experience that you get a crazy amount of peace. It's just... Totally supernatural. But yeah, when I realized that, wow, I'm not surrendering it to just nothingness. I'm not surrendering to uncertainty. I'm giving it up to God, somebody who knows me so, so well and actually cares deeply. A lot of us in this room, and I say this out of love, probably chasing the wrong things. And I'm guilty of the exact same thing. Money, comfort, A lot of times it's him. A lot of times it could be her. And the tough part is that I can't tell you exactly what treasures in heaven look like. And it's because I haven't been there yet. But I think a really good start for us to start thinking about what that might look like for us and actually building up that investment in heaven is to listen to the things that are in this book. It sounds so simple. But we just went over chapters and chapters of what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. You pray for your enemies. You don't lust after people. You forgive your brothers. You don't start fights with them. You don't take oaths. It's all in there. And I really believe that that, those are the treasures that he talks about. I mean, it's no coincidence that it's right after all that stuff. But if you follow that obediently, I think you're in a really good place to be formulating your mind, what are these treasures in heaven? Um, 
and you would be totally focused and on track there. Something that comes to mind about this idea is actually somebody who is you know, very crucial to our church, and his name's Erwin. He was actually here a few weeks ago, and he, we sent him off to East Asia, I believe, um, for a missions trip. And his last week was a tough one because he needed, like, a ton of money in a very short amount of time. And I was pretty skeptical, I admit. I was like, no, I don't think that's going to happen. Because, I mean, yeah, there's so many people that can give, but, you know, that's that's a little crazy. And then um, I realized, yeah, missions is pretty new for me, this whole donating, this whole raising up funds and stuff. I'm not very familiar with it. But then I remember the first time I talked to him. And our first conversation was actually about East Asia. And I remember we connected on such a deep level about what's going on there and how passionate we are about the church that's still underground, but it's slowly blossoming there. And he's just so pumped up about it. I'm like, that's, like, that's from God right there. It's not from anything that he is, but he, he's called. I remember that, and it's not about me ending up giving him some money, but just the fact that if I, if I gave a little bit of what I have to him so that he could minister to people in East Asia, and someday I meet somebody in heaven that he ministered to, that's totally worth it, um, to bring his gospel there, to bring the gospel of Christ there. That's such a worthy cause. Um, 200 bucks on, like, textbooks and Dolls, like, that doesn't make any sense. Especially the textbooks part. (laughs) But to invest in a brother who is immensely passionate about the gospel and bring it to a place that hasn't even heard of who Jesus is, now that, that's a worthy cause. And I can't help but think that that was probably some of the best money I've ever spent, is getting him over there and praying for him to be a light in a place that is definitely dark. As I close, as we leave this passage, this whole idea of treasures in heaven, I actually want to do a, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's very related, and I want to definitely bring it up. I kind of want to DTR Yeah, yeah. Sign-up sheets in the back, yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I want to DTR with Renew Church, you guys. And by the way, you guys look amazing this morning. And, <laughs> um, and if you don't know what a DTR is, it's, it stands for define the relationship. And it's pretty much like when you hang out with a person and you're like, I don't know if we're friends or I don't know if we're more than friends, and you have that awkward conversation. And I have to confess that I deeply love this church. Um, it's just true of me. I can't put it any other way. I really love this church. And I look around and I see the people in the room, and I know so many of you, and I will know so many of you. And on this side, it looks amazing to see all these faces and the ways people have prayed and supported me. It's hard not to love you guys. Wilson, like I said earlier, is this great visionary. And I think part of that actually rubbed off on me in a really strong way. But I'm more of a here and now type guy. I don't think of the five to seven year plan. I kind of do the next 20 minutes or 
hour or two, and I wanted to save time at the end to find out what is on my heart with this church right now. How is God moving in this season on this Sunday? And my vision is that we should that we would just be a church that focuses on laying up treasures in heaven, as we read here, before anything else. And if that's true of us, we will be far above anything that can stop us, whether that be drama, gossip, you know, any issues, we would just be so, so far above it. And I think that it's interesting because the people next to you, if you look around, um, God blessed this church immensely with people to our left and our right who are teammates on the exact same mission. And something that I think really breaks all of our hearts, but definitely God's, is when we look to our left and our right and we see that we're enemies with each other. And that is... The reason why that's so strong is because everybody who knows Christ, who has a relationship with him, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's his truth. And when you use your words to not edify, but degrade one another. You're essentially waging war against something that God really, really cares about, more than we can ever imagine. The cool thing, though, is that what if we use those words to actually edify each other? What if we use those words to defend each other, as we're called to do, against the real enemy that's out there, the temptations, the shortcomings, the brokenness, how different would our church look if we did that? Um, where it doesn't matter who you sit with because they're a brother or a sister that you know has your back, that you know is going to help you on this mission of pursuing Christ. That's my prayer and vision for Renew in this season. Right now we're going to enter a time of communion. We do this every Sunday. Um, we're called to do it to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. Today specifically, though, as you partake of the bread and the cup, I want you to think about how great of a treasure you're holding in your hand. Just in that small symbol that we can't take that lightly. That what you're holding is proclaiming, not to anybody around you, that doesn't matter, but proclaiming to God that you know him and he knows you and that you're all in on it. That you're all about the treasures in heaven. That you're all about focusing your gaze on him alone and you're all about proclaiming him as Lord. So I would love if the worship team would come up. Yeah? We're good? Okay. Um, but yeah, what you're holding in your hand is a treasure. It really is. Um, I hope it's like that for you every Sunday, actually. Um, that when you partake in that communion, you are committing your, your life to something greater. Um, and that is my hope um, for all of you guys today. Whether this is your first time in church, first time here with us, 
or million time, you've been here since the beginning, don't let it lose the weight um, of just the redundancy. Always let it move you in a powerful way.